Hello, and welcome to Cinema to the Letter. This episode, it's the indie known as The Blair Witch Project. Cinema to the Letter, we break down the very nature of cinema, letter by letter. For each episode of a film miniseries topic, we cover a C for a classic, an I for an indie, an N for new, E for egregious, M for masterpiece, and A for atypical. Who doesn't love an acronym, am I right? I am Thomas, and I just want to say, I'm sorry <laughs> to Brian's parents and my parents. <laughs> Uh, hi, I'm Brian, and I believe in the Blair Witch. Good. We, we all have a belief system here. We need that in these trying times. We need to believe in something. Uh, but welcome, everybody, to the second episode of Cinema to the Letter. I can't believe it. Two episodes. They said it would never last, Brian. We did it. We did it. We're doing our Eye for Indie, yeah. which is going to be in our structure, sort of the second of any miniseries. And I gotta say, for this particular miniseries of Blockbuster, it's kind of a bit more difficult to find an indie that fits, like, the Blockbuster status. Like, a true indie. Because, yeah. like, with indie, we roughly defined it as, like, a movie that with a budget under $10 million and doesn't have, like, specific studio backing. And really, outside of the decade where our movie came out, we're talking about this week, of the 90s, like, that isn't really that common. That was, like, the one really big, brief explosion where you could get a lot of, like, smaller movies, make a huge profit in theaters. It's very weird to think, like, of, of this as an indie blockbuster, because it's such a tiny film. I personally didn't, like, realize how, like, much money it made at the box office. Especially in 1999, one of the most crowded movie years of all yeah, time. Yeah, like, the year for, for, like, a lot of a lot of people. But I think that's what makes it so interesting to talk about as a movie. Yeah, and I think it's also interesting just kind of looking back, because another movie I kind of watched as a potential recommendation for this, uh, that it's not going to be a recommendation, but it was fascinating revisiting it, was um, My Big Fat Greek Wedding, <laughs> which is um, a movie that um, was an independent movie and made, like, over $300 million. And it's, like... A cute little rom-com about, like, my family's really Greek, <laughs> and they don't like my non-Greek fiancé, and that movie was insanely successful. That would never happen now. Yeah, they're making a third one, right? Like, the trailer came out for the third one. The trilogy is finally <laughs> completing, that we all wanted. <laughs> for the record, cute movie, it's fun, but also it's, like, amazing, that movie. Like, it made so much money, and it lasted in theaters for, like, nine months. Jesus, yeah. Like, never would happen now. Never, yeah. Um, but, you know, we're, we're talking today about the Blair Witch Project, and I guess, um, you know, let's play our trailer now. Let's get the trailer part out of the way here. Here is the trailer for the Blair Witch Project. The search of the three missing Montgomery College students continues in Frederick County tonight. Ten days and thousands of man hours have been unable to produce any clues. We have a few leads, a um, few other options we want to take advantage of and just try to put together some, uh, some pieces to this puzzle. Do you believe the occult may be involved in the disappearance of your son? 
I just want to apologize to Mike's mom and Josh's mom and my mom. I am so, so sorry because it is my fault because it was my project. I'm so scared. So the Blair Witch Project uh, came out in the summer of 1999, as we mentioned, specifically July 14th, 1999, um, from directors uh, Eduardo Sanchez and Daniel Myrick. And we should note a big thing about this movie is that in prep for it, there was a lot of hype that we weren't necessarily as privy to because, full disclosure, I think, Brian, what, you were barely a being when this came out? (laughs) I was one year old. Um, okay. So yeah, I remember like nothing about the lead up to this movie. Well, um, this would have been the same summer where I had a bunch of uh, Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace merchandise. Right. That was all over uh, my closet. Um, and I do distinctly remember, not necessarily like the huge amount of hype, where it's like, oh, it's Sundance. Everyone thought it was real, and like all the missing poster stuff. Like that was the huge thing. But I specifically remember just that poster being everywhere. The poster that features uh, the Heather character like, looking terrified at the very bottom and, like, that oh, basic right. scroll of, like, yeah. all the stuff you see in the little prologue thing. And I remember being very scared of it when I was very small. Because it was just like, oh, my God, this is so weird. Like, I'm going to go see, like, Tarzan or some shit. <laughs> and I'm just like, oh, this looks spooky. In fact, I, interesting fact, um, I realized, do you know what came out opposite Blair Witch Project? What was the the big competition on July 14th, 1999? July 1999. No. I'll give you the hints that um, it is a kid's movie, because okay. I definitely saw it in the theater. It's, I believe, the sixth theatrical movie involving these characters, and they had been very popular for the last, like, 25 years prior to this coming out. But this was kind of like the, the, the end of their big success, especially theatrically for a while. I mean, it, my immediate mind went to the Muppets, but was there a Muppets movie yep, in 99? it's Muppets from Space! Is it? Okay, I haven't seen that. I, I haven't, like, seen that one yet. I'm watching through them, like, we've talked about this before, but, like, I haven't seen that one. Really? That's right. <laughs> interesting counter-programming to this movie. For sure, yeah. I was one of the few people who saw Muppets from Space in the theater, because I'm like, yeah, those are my guys, <laughs> not these kids in the woods. <laughs> Fuck them. Um, but, yeah, so I was at least aware, and I remember, like, this movie at least having a power over me, not because of, like, this particular movie, but this was one of many movies from 1999 where I was keenly aware of the imagery because of how often it was parodied. Right. In various things. Yeah. Probably the most infamous example is Sherry O'Terry in a Scary Movie, where they just have, like, a full-on... Like, they do the close-up bit, and she's just, like, completely pouring snot out of her nose, and it's just, like, right directly under <laughs> This is a time where I confess that... Unfortunately, I've never seen any of the scary movies. I know I've lost my my film fan card, but... (laughs) (laughs) You know, that Criterion box that's going to come out soon, I'm sure. So you better study up on those, buddy. Um, I don't know. I would be deeply fascinated to hear you watch any of those movies that are so firmly dated in the years they came out. I have been pressured by many people in my personal life to watch these movies, as if they are this, like totemic like cinematic you know whatever maybe maybe one day we'll do scary movie (laughs) during the deepest darkest bits of quarantine i did marathon with friends over like discord through the scary movies 
which was interesting. Some of them held up better than others, uh, but whatever. We can talk about it, like you said, at some other point. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, but there was not just that, but there's also stuff like something that I exposed you to as well, uh, the Scooby-Doo Project, <laughs> yeah, so, which I very distinctly remember. <laughs> so what is this? Because I, I watched part of it, and it's surprisingly well-made from what I saw. Right. Yes. Both in that, like, it's a great parody of the Blair Witch Project, but also, like, it's doing the whole, like, I guess, animated characters on, like, a, you know, in, like, real life kind of thing. I, I read up a bit on the history of this, and I also rewatched it. If you don't know out there, um, the Scooby-Doo Project was an interesting little uh, thing where, back in the day, Cartoon Network would have, like, these interstitials that kind of looked like this, where it would be uh, animated characters, but live-action backgrounds, like, in between... Like commercial breaks and whatnot, the bumper words like now back to Cartoon Network. Yeah, they would have these kind of things. So that team decided, like, you know what, Blair Witch is very popular, and we're planning on having like a big Scooby Doo marathon on Halloween. So why don't we make this as like a fun interstitial thing? And they apparently like they shot all that like background footage and they got it all together fairly quickly. Um, And I remember just I watched it as a kid. And just knowing Scooby-Doo, but seeing them in this untraditional sort of circumstance also terrified me, because I'm like, zoinks, what's happening here? <laughs> this is this is so uh, weird and upsetting. But there's a, I mean, there's a bunch of other things. There's like the Blair Thumb. I, this is definitely something I'm sure you have no idea about. The Thumb movies. Do you know what this is? I feel like this seems familiar from like, just. I feel like I've seen something of this on the internet, but no, what, what is this? These were, like, weird little parody things that Steve Odenkirk, who would later go on to create uh, Jimmy Neutron, did, like, in the late 90s, early 2000s, where he would have these, like, characters who did look like thumbs, and he would, like, replace out, like, a mouth and eyes that are, like, real on top of these thumbs. (laughs) Okay, I've seen, I've seen, like, clips of this. (laughs) Yes, yes, there was, like, a Star Wars one, there was the the Blair Witch one, there was a couple other ones. (laughs) Thumb Tannic is a pretty great one. <laughs> yes. For sure, yes. Um, but, uh, yeah, so even these parodies, like, I was aware of Blair Witch, and it just scared me to the point where I didn't watch it. And then it kind of became a point where I'm like, oh, I was aware of this movie, but, like, many, like kind of like The Matrix. I had a very similar relationship with The Matrix, where that came out in 99. I didn't see it in a theater because I was too young. I saw a bunch of parodies, and I'm kind of like, well, I guess I get the gist of this, right? I don't need to, like, really rush to see this movie until around 2009 during like the 10 year anniversary of 99 where people were talking about like oh, all these great movies right. I'm like well I'm aware of Toy Story 2 and the Iron Giant because I'm a cinema thespian <laughs> who actually saw those in theaters but um, so I decided to watch that at that time and I'll save my thoughts on it for a bit later I'm very curious Brian what is your relationship with this movie this was definitely a movie I watched in in high school kind of when I was discovering movies and stuff like that I knew of the reputation of it and I knew that it was like, I knew of the marketing campaign, obviously, but I was so terrified when I first watched this movie where I was, I, I didn't watch horror movies a lot when I was a kid, really. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a very like scared kid, but like, as I got older, I you know started to get more into horror movies. And th- this is one of the only movies that truly like scares me, even like as I just watched it, like, you know, the other, like recently for this, for this episode. Um, but I, I don't know that I saw any of the parody stuff. I think it was just kind of one of those things of like, it's the Blair Witch Project. You just kind of like know of it through like 
this kind of cultural osmosis, I guess. Mm-hmm. But it, it's it's remained a movie I love ever since, um, and it's it's become one of my favorite horror movies. Um, I don't know if it's number one, but it's it's definitely up there for me. Yeah, with me, it was weird because I when I saw this in two thousand nine, I was definitely in that phase where I had gotten out of the scaredy cat phase. And I was into, like, yeah, now I want to, like, actually explore horror movies. And I was, like, deep into, you know, like, the Freddies and the Jasons, Chucky's sure. things that terrified me. And now I'm like, oh, I want to watch this now. And then Blair Witch Project, I remember being like, well, I respect what this is doing and that they're, like, clearly, like, have no money and they're able to do what they did. But I don't know if I love this necessarily. But each time I've gone back to it, I've grown to, like, really respect it and love it more and more to the degree that when I watched it again for this particular watch it was truly terrifying just going back to it especially (laughs) i made sure that like i didn't have my laptop around me i put my phone on silent i was just like i gotta like completely immerse myself in this and uh yeah it's pretty spooky it it is because i watched this um last year i think during october during like you know halloween season and i specifically like this time i watched it did not watch it at night (laughs) Because it, it right. I did that last time, and it is, it is such a, a terrifying movie. Uh, where, where are we starting here? What do you want to get into with the... Well, I mean, I, I guess we should talk a bit about something else I tasked you with for this. was um, a, a big thing with this movie, as we kind of referenced earlier, was the, the marketing blitz that was going on before it, where this premiered at Sundance... And everyone was like, what the fuck is this? And there were missing posters put out of the three main characters who we see in the film here uh, going around the woods trying to find the Blair Witch and filming each other, etc. So much of the marketing was around, like, the website and the viral stuff, like, detailing the lore of the Blair Witch and even, um, you know, saying that actors were missing, presumed dead on IMDb, stuff like that, really immersing you in the viral marketing of it all. One of the first examples of that. A A big thing that what was fascinating to me upon like the sort of like over the years coming back to it is finding some of those marketing materials, which includes like little documentaries about the Blair Witch. Right. Which um, I had tasked you to watch, at least you watched Curse of the Blair Witch, which yeah. was a, a mockumentary that premiered on Sci-Fi Channel and gave you a lot more of the lore that's referenced in the original movie. Um, but it's fleshed out a bit more. I'm curious, what did you think of that little mockumentary? Yeah, it's it's also like it's like it's like 45 minutes, which is yes, very very small. Um, it, it's it's really interesting in 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 the sense that like one, I love that it is it's all like more of what we see in the beginning of the movie, which is those kind of like stories from like the local townspeople, and like we get the. Um, the expert who's like kind of throughout the thing, the, the little documentary um, or the police sheriff who like would uncover the bodies. And it's weird. Cause like, I feel like we get more marketing campaigns that are kind of like this with trying to bring the movie to the real world kind of thing. And I love all the weird townspeople that they like interview the amount of effort put into like the lore. I really have to like praise because I, I find it so interesting, and as someone who's interested in especially that sort of kind of northeastern kind of folklore of witches in the woods, I, I found it really interesting, actually. Yeah, um, I really dug this as well, um, especially considering with Chris the Blair Witch and the various other little documentaries, they feel so much like what you would see on, say, like History Channel 
yeah. or some other bullshit. Like, mm-hmm. exactly like one of those documentaries. They do. Even down to, they got a guy named uh, Bill Dregors, who, um, you in the uh, Curse of the Brother Witch, he's the guy with the big beard who's the town historian. Yes, yeah, he's, yeah. Yes, who was actually, like, an actual sort of, like, mythological sort of, like, historian guy who lived in D-Land, Florida. And he oh. was, like, a... a a big guy, he, like, died a couple years ago, but he feels authentically like, oh, this is an old guy who spends most of his time now looking at the history of, like, a particular town. He feels so authentic to that. Yeah. And even just, like, the editing and the weird little, like, bits of, uh, you know, like, music and that feels so much like, oh, this is, like, a true crime documentary thing yeah. I would have seen, like, on True TV <laughs> or some <laughs> bullshit back in, like, the early 2000s or so. And they did a few of these in conjunction with, like, this movie as well as... The sequel, uh, Book of Shadows, Blair Witch 2, which we'll talk about in a bit because you also saw that. We'll, we'll, we'll save that yeah, for near yeah. the end of the episode, I think. Um, but I would definitely recommend, if you have not seen Crucible of uh, the Blair Witch, that one's on Tubi currently, as when we're recording this. But there's a couple others that are on YouTube. Like, I particularly recommend The Burkittsville 7, which is a similar documentary, but it's more about Rustin Parr. Uh, the guy oh, okay. who killed the kids. Right, okay. And so it's about, like, his trial, but also especially about, because they mention um, that there were, like, seven kids, but there were eight that were kidnapped. And it goes into a bit more detail about, I believe his name is Kyle Brody was the last kid. And this whole documentary is about, like, this one, like, asshole researcher dude who's just like, well, I mean, I investigate, you know, like, serial killers and all this other stuff. I don't think Rustin Parr was a serial killer. I think that kid convinced him to do all this shit. <laughs> So it's about him trying to prove his theory that this kid who like went on from like after that point became like went into a mental institution and started like saying weird things. They kind of try and connect him to the Jeffrey Donovan character in Book of Shadows in a similar oh. way. It's, it's weird, but like I, it's, it's, it's at least it's not as connected to Book of Shadows. I sure, okay. that. It's not as directly connected. So that one I definitely recommend or even Shadow of the Blair Witch, which is like, here's the documentary of the events from Book of Shadows. Like this is with like completely different actors because Book of Shadows is supposed to be like a filmed version of real it's events. It's a reenactment. Wake of the Blair. Right, yes. Yeah. So this is like the documentary, quote unquote, <laughs> Of what actually happened, quote unquote, <laughs> and whatever, <laughs> and whatnot. Um, but anyway, anyway. So one other thing before we get to Blair Witch, I know we're talking a lot before we get to Blair Witch, but this is a found footage movie. It is, and found footage is an interesting subgenre. In that this wasn't the first technical found footage movie. Many people will bring that up if you say like Blair Witch and like, uh, actually, <laughs> there's a couple other ones. I'll, I'll get to that in a minute. But after this, there was like kind of a big gap without many well-known found footage movies until about 2009 when Paranormal Activity came out. Right. And that was massively successful. And then that started a huge trend for like at least a solid five to six years after that, where we get a bunch of those. How do you generally feel about found footages, especially like a horror subgenre? Yeah, I was thinking a lot about this as I was watching. I'm not the biggest fan of this genre, not to be kind of down on it, but like when it's good, I think it really hits. The ones that that don't hit, and a lot of the kind of forgotten kind of, especially paranormal activity kind of copies. But like, I do love some of some found footage horror movies. I mean, like something like Cloverfield is phenomenal. Or even, like, I recently watched M. Night Shyamalan's The Visit, which is very good. It comes with a lot of issues, I think, that you kind of need to solve in the story of, like, you know, why are they filming still? Kind of all of those things. And I don't think a lot of movies really nail that. And I think this is a movie that really nails that. 
as we'll get into. But what about you? What's your thoughts on, on found footage horror? I have a very complicated relationship with found footage horror because when I first started doing podcasting, it was kind of in like the beginning of the decline of those paranormal activity also rans. Where like I remember one of the first ones I talked about was Paranormal Activity Four, which I believe is right around that point where that series stops being interesting. Sure, right. And then there's a bunch of other ones that followed immediately afterward that I was not huge on. So I have that just association of like I had to see like all of those. Right. And they were so bad. So many of them were so atrocious. Uh, but I think I agree with you that when it works, it works brilliantly. And I think a big distinction even like in movies before this, where they do have, like, found footage elements. Some of them don't, like, go full deep into found footage, I think, nearly as much as, say, like, a Blair Witch Project does. Because, like, before this, you had stuff like Cannibal Holocaust, which is kind of an infamous movie, where it's not even full found footage, because it's, like, they half the narrative is, like, actually looking around and finding the footage, and then you see the footage. Um, Some of which, depending on what version you watch, involve animal cruelty, which is so fun. (laughs) So great. Love seeing that. There's that, or there's, like, Man Bites Dog, which is a great movie. That's, like, a really fascinating look. It's just like, oh, let's follow around the serial killer in this way. Oh, Um, That movie's great. It's a French movie. I I might put that in the back pocket. That's a really good one to cover. Um, But then... I think a big one that I'd heard so much about that I actually watched for the first time in prep for this was The Last Broadcast, which is, like, the biggest example to me of the well-actually kind of, like, someone putting up their fucking glasses thing, where anytime I brought up The Blair Witch Project, there would always be some film nerd who's like, well, there's The Last Broadcast, which came out in 98, like, the year prior, and I finally saw this movie. I want to rant because this movie fucking sucks after hearing so much bullshit about it. We're like, that's a movie that's about, like, this documentarian who says, like, I'm going to investigate the murders of these two guys who ran a public access show that was all about, like, oh, we investigate weird, mysterious things that happen, and they're trying to investigate the Jersey Devil, uh, which is a mythological, like, creature that uh, allegedly is up in the Pine Barrens of New Jersey. Sure, sure. And... The entire investigation, he keeps, like, having all these weird things happen where it's like, uh, I got mailed this big giant thing of tape that's just like all like literally like VHS tape just in a box without a case and I got a specialist to like examine it and look over it and try and clean it up and I'm going so deep in this and there's some interesting stuff where like they're out in the woods like the the actual last broadcast is like these guys tried to do their public access show in the middle of the woods in 1998 and do it live so it's like their awkward attempt at early internet um, attempting to broadcast something. Okay. And, like, they record, like, several hours, and they lost the footage that would have been, like, them on their own, and having been murdered in some horrible way, and they discover the bodies and stuff later and stuff. So there's this missing footage that supposedly is this footage that was, like, all scrounged up and whatever, and was mailed to the documentarian. And then, spoilers for this old fucking movie, <laughs> it turns out that this documentarian was the guy that killed these people. <sighs> He goes up to, like, the, the specialist who was trying to, like, clean everything up, and she discovers it, and, like, why would... So, you mailed that to yourself, <laughs> and then you had this lady, like, clean it up, so then you could go over and, like, kill her, and then bury her body in the woods, and he's still making the documentary? It's dumb. It's a bad movie. Anybody who's like, well, actually, this... Well, guess what? That movie fucking sucks. I don't care if they went out of the woods a year before. <laughs> fucking these people did. That movie stinks. And you don't need to ever bring it up in a Blair Witch conversation because it sucks so much. <laughs> yeah, I have never heard of it. Apparently it was made for $900. Yep. Kind of impressive, actually. But, like, 
Yeah, none it's of... pretty impressive until they try and do like a fight scene between him <laughs> and like the magnet specialist, and it looks literally like a nostalgia critic video, <laughs> like him trying to fight like a fucking costume <laughs> character. It looks about as well choreographed, terrible. Uh, but anyway, anyway, so all that setting the stage for the Blair Witch Project. We should start off with these actors. You got Joshua Leonard, who plays Josh. Yep. Uh, you got Michael C. Williams, who plays Mikey. Yep. And then you've got um, Heather Donahue, um, who is at least what her credited name was at the time. Well, I want to go into this a bit, but how do you feel about our three players here? I find it so interesting that the cast of this movie is the most normal people that you've ever seen in your life, kind of. Like, uh, thinking a lot about these these found footage horror movies and how a lot of them try to make the characters just ordinary people, and yet, like, none of them really capture the sense that these are just normal people. I think, like, this movie, where, like, you see them just, like, drinking beers and hanging out and it's like that is a lot of what the plot is towards the beginning of it is them like just hanging out and setting up and getting ready to go like on this camping trip i I love the cast of this movie i um i think all the performances are incredible um i'll get in we'll get into heather donahue's performance later on because i think that's something like i think her performance is like truly special in this movie but i i I don't know just there's something that kind of hooks you with the three characters and i don't really know what that is i think it's just the actors and how they're acting in this sort of documentary i think a big part of that is the fact that so much of this movie despite the fact that like you know eduardo sanchez and daniel merrick are like the credited directors like those three actors are really the people that are like conveying so much of this perspective because they had the cameras and they were the ones who were like improvising so much this dialogue like the the literal making of this movie is so fascinating where they were given basically like individual envelopes every day Julie's just like hey here's what your character's doing here's how you're feeling about josh and heather or here's how you're feeling about heather and mikey and vice versa all this other stuff and here's what you need to get to like by the end of the shooting day so they're coming up with all this dialogue and all the camera angles because they're all handling the cameras and stuff. So it is so much their perspective, unlike other found footage movies where these people are holding the camera, but really it's like they're, these people are talking to the cinematographer who's holding this camera in place of the actual character yeah. that's holding it in an individual time. Like that, and also they look like normal fucking people. They really do. <laughs> yeah, I have met Josh's and Mikey's and Heather's Every fucking day of my goddamn life. Just yeah. people who look exactly like that, act in a similar way in, you know, normal society when they're not being chased around by an unseen horrible force. Like, they feel like such real people, especially people I would have hung out with, like, in my early 20s. People yeah. who just, like, immediately evoke, like, oh, I would have probably, especially as the sort of, like, weird way this project comes together as, like, a film student thing, where it's like, Mikey has the equipment and Heather's never met him before, but Josh has the connection. And Josh is like, yeah, I know Heather from school, but, like, we don't know each other very well. Just that weird thing where it's like, we're kind of, like, all coming together haphazardly. Like, I guess this will work. Sure, this will be fine. Like, you do in your 20s. Yeah. You're like, yeah, this will be fine. People I've never met with, I'm going to go into the woods with for fucking days. It, it is, yeah. It's one of those things I love about this movie where, I mean, just the setup. And there's not a lot of, like, lingering on the setup. Like, there isn't a scene where they're like, I don't know you. It's just like... Hi, we've never met before. How are you? And that's it. And you get it, but like their performances feel naturalistic in a way that like 
feels actually natural, not in the way that like Hollywood performances can feel natural. And, and yeah, I think they are the kind of the, so integral to why this movie works. It feels very authentic to where, like, you don't know these people, so you're like, oh, um, hi, Mikey, yeah, right, nice to meet you, and you're, the, the politeness is there. You get, like, a sense of who they are in a more natural setting. And even, like, when they're hanging out in the hotel room after they've interviewed a bunch of people, and they're just, like, shooting the shit and, like, getting a bit drunk and, like, and all this other stuff, and they've mentioned, like, oh, I got weed and I got beard, like, hell yeah, let's, let's do that up. Like, that all feels, like, so natural to, like, oh, we're having the fun and excitement of, like, meeting each other, and we're gonna go out in these woods, and it's gonna be, we're all playing nice, and we all don't know anything bad, but we're giving each other the benefit of the doubt, and then gradually realizing, like, I can't trust these people, and then eventually, like, oh, I have to trust these people because they're the only people I have. Yeah, it gives that feeling of, like, if you've ever been with a group of people while you have to like figure something out it gives that that there's that just feeling of like one minute you're angry at this person and you're yelling at them and then but you have you have to work together and so they there's a there's a lot of that push and pull later on in the film of like them yelling at each other but then the next minute they're like okay we have to stay calm we have to work together and it it all feels just so natural in terms of like their situation the, the, the characters in this movie are 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 great, and that there is not a lot we don't know a lot about them, which is interesting. Um, which I, I think the 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 curse of the Blair Witch kind of goes a bit into that, where it interviews like family members of of theirs and like their girlfriends and stuff like that. But or literally like My- Michael Williams's actual brother plays his right, own yeah, brother yeah. within <laughs> that and stuff like that. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, they, they try and flesh that. And I guess we should also talk about, before we sort of enter the woods, as it were, uh, the other few human faces we see in the form of the interviewed townspeople. Right. Who are amazing. Um, I'm, I'm curious, who is your favorite of these? Because I have one specific favorite. They're all fun. Um, who's your one specific favorite of, like, the people they interview? I love the two guys that they interview who are, like, fishing. I kind of love the mom with, like, the baby who's, like, the baby's trying to, like, cover her mouth. That's mine. Yes. Yeah, it's that, a, absolutely my favorite. It's a weird scene. I don't know how, like, it's one of those things where I'm like, that couldn't have been intentional, right? Like, how did that, it, it lines up in a way that's... Well, Odd. <laughs> Interesting fact, I came across in my research a little, like, very spur-of-the-moment kind of interview thing with those people, like, about 20 years later. Oh, So okay. you had, like, the mom and, like, her 20-year-old daughter now um, actually interviewed at the same spot, like, the oh. actual same, like, location in that area, um, where they just talked about the fact that apparently she was, like, a school teacher who was at a restaurant and saw, like, the apparently, like, where the three actors would, like, go around to people and be like, hey, can we interview for this project? And apparently a bunch of people were saying, no, no, I have no interest in. And she's like, a school teacher who's like, oh, those kids, they need somebody to help them with their college project. I'll go ahead and help them out. <laughs> and she just did that. And apparently the reactions from the daughter are real because she apparently had a lot of like anxiety issues when she was a little kid. So she was really sensitive to this horrific story she's telling. And it's ingenious, especially finding out later on, they, they, she mentions like, I just thought it was like a weird college project, so I didn't think of it. And then someone called me and said like, you're on Good Morning America right now. <laughs> <laughs> they had the clip that was showing. And yeah, I think like that one works especially well because it feels, once again, very authentic. It does, to that yeah. Degree, where it just feels like this is a natural conversation, especially that little girl like, no! Yeah, I love the like. I yeah, especially when the little girl's like saying that, and she's like, "I'm just telling a story. It's not real." And then she like faces them, and she's like, "It's real." 
<laughs> uh, but everyone kind of has that. Even like there's the old man who like when they mention like, "Have you heard of the Blair Witch?" Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I've heard of the Blair Witch. <laughs> <laughs> like the, just these people who have vague recollections, but like, yeah, there was the guy who murdered people when I was a kid. I remember it was really sad, like back in the forties, and it was really sad or whatever. It broke up the whole town, and you get the things that are elaborated on Curse of the Blair Witch. Right. But it's just enough to where you're like, oh, you get... In the 1700s, there was a woman who was burned at the stake, uh, accused of being a witch. Then later on, Rustin Parr says he hears horrible things and kills a bunch of these kids. And so like that. You get just enough to where you're like, that's the mythology you need to wear when the things eventually go wild and you see, like, the sticks and the stones and all this other stuff. It feels like, okay, I have... I was aware of all this. It's the, like, most basic setup and payoff you could possibly do. It, it works perfect. Yeah, it is. Like, and, like... You describing like what's laid out there in terms of like who the Blair Witch is, all the all the events that have occurred, it, it never it doesn't feel like it's giving away too much. If you haven't seen like Curse of the Blair Witch or anything, it is very breadcrummy. It builds up, I think, the mystery of it, where you are even you are kind of like confused as to like it's a witch or it's a, like a killer. What like you know, kind of what is it? it has this this overall feeling of dread that you feel while they're in the woods. It gives you enough avenues, especially to just kind of like piece together whichever version of it you want. Because the, the genius of this movie is we don't see the Blair Witch. Some people have commented like, oh, that's why I don't like this movie. We don't get a real sense of like what's chasing them or whatever. But the ingenious thing of it is you get the full terror that something is out there. And you get it from the perspective of these kids where, like, especially when later on when Heather is, like, running that infamous scene where, like, after something's attacking and she just says, what the fuck is that? One of the most terrifying things ever. Right. And that's all you need, It really. is. It is. It's just, like, a what the fuck is that? She's running and it just, like, immerses you. Especially the way this movie uh, flips between they have the black and white stuff for what they meant to use for the actual footage. And then, like, behind the scenes stuff in, like, grainy color. Like, yeah. that shift also is, like, so terrifying when we, like, go from whichever... The black and white is, like, 16 millimeters, so it's, like, so grainy, and it's, like, it's that yes. early DV camera, of course. Y- yeah, and, like, and you never kind of get a sense of, like, what the overall picture is, really, when you watch this movie. Your imagination kind of fills in a bit of it, um, and I love the kind of jokey way that the characters kind of act towards the Blair Witch, where they're kind of like, um, who's the woman that, the old woman they have to go to meet? Mary Brown? Is that her name? Right, yes. Yeah, because like later on, Heather like finds something and she's like, oh, what did Mary Brown say? I wasn't listening. I thought she was kind of (laughs) crazy. Which is... Right. Yeah, and and again, it is that sort of like naturalism where it's like, well, yeah, why would you, this woman sounds crazy why would you be listening to her why would they be listening to her it's the great sort of more more natural realistic version of the thing in horror films where you have the harbinger guy who's just like now don't go down that road right that road leads you down to the pet cemetery (laughs) yeah and and, uh, yeah i love that you never get us you never get the same story from any of like they're all telling different stories so you you kind of think like oh well this is just like small town mythology right like this isn't this, this isn't a real thing this is just like a you know a town legend. Old wives' tales. Yeah, and stuff yeah. Like that, yeah. Right. So, and I think that's also the ingenious thing, is that, like, we're dealing with something that, like, is a horrible, unspeakable force that lives in these woods, but everyone is just like, yeah, there are all these different stories, and there are enough different stories to where you're like, yeah, I wouldn't go in the woods either. Like, if there's that many different fucked up stories, it's just like, I don't go there. Yeah, what's the the woman with the, with the, the baby? She's like, 
they ask her like so do you believe in it and she's like i believe enough not to go up there so right <laughs> that's the thing it's just like when you have that many different stories if there was one story about yeah. like oh there's a killer or whatever you're like oh i don't know that I, i'd still go out in those woods if it's like well i have this story and they have this story this story this or they're all distinct it's like something's up there regardless i don't know what it is but i ain't fucking around yeah like. and the the story like the one the, the like rustin parr story is like so horrifying to think about yeah and then like you have the one i guess it's the two fishermen they're telling the story about the like girl who gets like dragged like into the water yes and, which is also like so terrifying and yeah it, it all adds adds to this 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 dread that you feel for the second half of the movie Right, yes, and so that's the big thing, is, like, as we get to the woods, and they're actually, like, filming and doing, like, a lot of their their commentary and stuff, there's not as much, like, plot to break down, necessarily, because it's just an ever-rising sense of dread, basically, is is what we get. And I love, a thing I love is that, like, on the the second or third day, where they're like, fuck, we have to go back, and I love that the, the thing that they're worried about is not, like, living, dying, whatever, like, Josh is like, I have to go to work tomorrow. And, like, I have to return this camera. Like, they're thinking about these these normal... Right, and that adds to the sense of, like, these are normal people. They're worried about normal things. And most of the second half is, like, walking in the woods and slowly losing their minds. Well, and especially even the stuff that, like, fucks up. Like, I love the relationship Heather has with these two guys, which is to say, like, a worse movie, I think, would try and do, like, a love triangle or some bullshit with these characters I'm so glad this didn't happen especially like I love that was brought up apparently on the press tour and Heather was talking about just like look we were so filthy there's no way I would want to fuck either of them <laughs> yeah. at that point from that deep in the woods and it's true and I think what works for Heather is that like she's clearly like okay I am trying to direct this project and this is my thing and I am responsible and I'm having these two guys as my crew and considering that like being a female director especially at that time in the 90s is so rare a thing yeah. And you're trying to be like, you're in film school, you're interested in this being your career. You're like, okay, I have to like really commit to this, which sells the fact that she's constantly filming, especially by the end of it, because she says, literally, just this is all I have. Yeah. Okay, this is everything. Yeah. And when she fucks up, I have, like, it's a very authentic sort of desperation that I have felt many times where it's like, oh, I'm going to bring some people out to do something, and I fucked up about like, oh, I didn't give them the right directions, or that place I thought was here isn't there anymore, or any of this other shit, and I'm like, ah, I'm, you know what? I'm going to fix this. I'm going to fix it. Yeah. We're all going to have a good time. <laughs> I have felt that so authentically. And it's even worse for her considering just she's with these two dudes who are just like, hey, can you, what the fuck? You direct your lady, you're going to help us out? And she's like, uh, I don't know what I'm going to do. Like, it, there's so much there that feels very authentic to like that horrible, awkward feeling of like, I'm fucking people over. Yeah. <laughs> this is supposed to be my thing. I fucked up. Yeah. And, and like, there's even like, because I'm trying to remember what the first thing that they get mad at her for is. Is it the... It's just... I, I think it's the map being missing. The map, yeah. I think it's the big thing. Yeah. and the, But, like, yeah, there's this, like the scene of, like, I think it's Josh, like, yelling at her. And then, like, I think almost, like, immediately cuts to, like, him lying down. And he's like, hey, listen, no blame or anything. But, like, this fucking sucks. Like, this is so fucked up, right? <laughs> Go find help. Yeah. Just tell them under this tree. I love, but I love that scene too because it is like it comes after a very tense scene. Oh, yeah, where they're all screaming at each other about like because I, I believe that's right after Mikey reveals he kicked the map into the river. Yeah, I think so. But like to cut to that from that to like him just being like, "Hey, come find me later. I'll be under this tree." Is like it. it I don't know. It, it is that sort of push and pull, I guess that that I find so interesting. 
I especially love really how this movie, even later, like, depicts that kind of, like, defeat where you do know you're gonna, like, be in a horrible situation, you might die from this, and they have that, like, kind of the immediate horror fear of, like, oh my god, what am I gonna do? Like, that's sort of, they go through the, the five stages of grief for themselves <laughs> over yeah. the course of the movie, but there's that weird sort of acceptance period where, like, my favorite example of this is when it's just Mikey and Heather, and he's just like, um, what, what, what's your perfect Sunday? What would you like to do on a Sunday? Yeah, and she's like, oh, I would go hiking. I guess that's where you can cross that <laughs> off the list. So like that. that is such an authentic conversation I have had with people. Of <laughs> just like, oh, things suck right now. Um, what do you usually do when you're like bored, dude? <laughs> what do you do? <laughs> yeah, it, it's like, and especially by like, I mean, we never really know how many like days there are. It's like what six or seven though that we can like clearly kind of tell. But like, it, it yeah, going from that like. Oh my fucking god! Everything is everything's bad. How are we gonna fix this? To just like this this defeated like, uh, well, I don't know. We're alive. Anyone got any smokes? <laughs> yeah, especially Mikey was just like, I found a couple smokes by my pack. Yeah, it it because I guess the thing that we kind of as we get into a lot of the, the them getting lost in the woods section of the movie is I feel like the sequels try to do the thing where they're like, oh, it's the Blair Witch making them go crazy and see things and stuff like that. And you can have that like that theory for this movie, but it doesn't show that necessarily. It doesn't do like the things that Book of Shadows does where it's like showing the reality versus like what they see. And that almost adds to the sense of dread because they're paranoid and you can't like tell what is causing it exactly, but they're just kind of like aggressive all of a sudden. Because they, they mentioned the whole thing about like, getting lost is such a big thing, where even before the map gets lost, they're like, oh, we're kind of going around in circles, I think. It's like, no, no, I have the map. I, Heather, will lead us out of here because I'm the director. And the map gets kicked, and they're like, oh, you know what, we, we'll just walk two miles this way. This is the way the car was. Yeah. And I think, like, it at least gives you the element of, like, you know, they talk about, like, oh, the, the woods are small. It's not going to be, like, what's, that big a surface area. Yeah, what's the line she has where she's, like, it's hard, it's impossible to get lost in America right now, like, today, oh, because yeah, of... we depleted all the resources. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is a crazy thing that, like, doesn't make any sense, but she's like, I gotta have something, man. It, I don't know. <laughs> but there is, like, this, like, thing of, like, of, like, well, it's the 90s. Like, surely there's no way to, like, get lost in the woods, and yet, like every day that they like they come across like a point that they've been at previously man it's the same log is one of the most defeated oh things i've ever heard in a movie god yeah her like heather's like breakdown as she realizes it too where she's like it's not the same log it's not and her yeah that breakdown is is just so heartbreaking and you know what, yeah, let's talk a bit more about Heather, because you kind of mentioned this earlier, you wanted to talk a bit more about the performance, and I think a fascinating thing that I learned in researching this movie was how much the actual actress who played Heather, like, really had a rough time after this movie came out. Yeah. Because, basically, like, if you don't know, um, these three actors, of them, only Joshua Leonard still acts. And he directs. him in, like, Unsane, for example. Yes, oh, that's right. true. He yeah. does direct as well. Yeah, and Unsane, he plays the, the, the boyfriend who's stalking and being the Claire Foy character and stuff like that. He's a solid actor. Uh, but then Michael Williams uh, ended up quitting and he became like a guidance counselor and an acting teacher. And then um, Heather tried to become an actress after this. And apparently because she was so prominent in the advertising and also she used her birth name, Heather Donahue, 
like that just haunted her for so long. She kind of, I remember her, I read like a big article where she talked about this and she said, I felt weird realizing I was someone's intellectual property, which is like a big thing where anybody famous can have that thing where it's like, oh, you know, I'm playing a character who has a different name. I'm my own identity. But when it's like Heather Donahue is the name everyone's making fun of. Like even in Book of Shadows, there's that bit where they make fun of Heather Donahue and say her whole name yeah, and stuff like that. There was so much about like, because obviously she's like screaming the whole time and she's quote unquote unlikable to certain people, you know coded for certain misogynistic <laughs> yeah, points of views and stuff like that. Um, it really like damaged her ability to get work for a while. And so she ended up kind of leaving the acting business. She became a weed farmer for a while for medical marijuana. And then she tried to like write a TV show and a book and neither of those were really that successful. And she was like reaching a certain really bad point in her life where like around the time of the Blair Witch 2016, that sequel, they gave her money. So because they used, like, certain bits of her in the movie, like, archival footage and stuff. And she got money for that, and she literally, like, spent that on, like, apparently a huge drinking binge, and she didn't really want to, like, be alive anymore, was her quote. So, after a certain point, she got sober, and then she changed her name to Ray Hans. It's R-E-I. I'm not sure how to pronounce okay. her first name. But, so she completely, like, changed her name, and now is, like, uh, apparently, like, a self-help spiritual Wiccan person who like writes books in this podcast which good for her sure absolutely find your happiness especially after all that shit yeah and it's such a bummer because i do agree with you that she's amazing in this fucking movie yeah and it's a bummer everyone was like down on her because she's great yeah it is so sad i mean like i watched the, watching this movie i like i think her f- performance is phenomenal like I, I think other than like just the naturalism that we've talked about i think you were talking about her as like her being this female director and and the way she has to act around these two guys. And like, there is a certain amount of like, she has to be firm in terms of being like, we're going this way. This is what we're doing. This is how we're doing that kind of things. I love when she's doing her like monologue in the documentary, like on the black and white yes. footage where she changes her voice and like in the town of Burkittsville. Yeah. It's yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah, that is just really great. What my favorite scene in the movie, probably besides the ending, is her like her confession to the camera at the end. Yes, which is so heartbreaking and so incredible. And like the line that gets me every single time in that monologue is like at, towards the end when she's done and she says, "I'm scared to close my eyes. I'm scared to open them." What a just so terrifying. <laughs> Given how parody this is, you can only be like so like copied in the culture if you make like such a distinctive impact. Like I think that particular scene does, or just even any of the earlier stuff. Like my scene where I just feel like, oh, I'm even regardless of if there's a Blair Witch or not. The scene where Josh is like dressing her down, she's like, "Here's your motivation." You're you're, and he keeps saying like, "She's making fucking movies all the time, man." Yeah. All this other stuff, and she's like crying there, and she said, "That's where she says, just like this is all I have." And stuff like that. That feels like such a real naked example of, quite frankly, like emotional abuse that's going on right there. Yeah. As all three of them are going insane. And he's just like, this. the way that he can only handle this is to completely dog on her for trying to like have some kind of semblance of control with filming things. And she's just like breaking down in front of him. I feel so much empathy for her in that moment. Uh, yeah. And, and it, it also like, I don't know, as, as two people who like movies, like, I, I don't know if I was trapped in the woods and couldn't get out like and i had a camera like i probably would be filming it like it's i don't know there like that sort of uh, 
sense of of wanting to document it. Well, well, even like that's removed even from us liking movies. I think now that's the fascinating sure. thing. Is ninety nine people complaining about like why is she still filming? Any fucking TikToker or whoever, <laughs> yeah. which is like, hey guys, third day lost in the woods. I don't have much food. Like and subscribe. And so, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's very it's very funny also to go back to this movie because it's at a very interesting time of that like you know, of, like, Y2K, and you have DV cameras getting, like, tiny enough to the point where they, like, can film and, you know, do, like, just, it's so handheld and so small. But at the same time, there is still, like, a physical thing there. I think that's what's also fascinating. It's, like, they say, like, oh, we found their footage. There's, like, an actual physical, it's literal found footage. Yes. That was, like, not on, like, a little, uh, like, you know, hard drive or, uh, like, DV card or whatever. It's, like, oh, this is a physical footage that we found especially the black and white camera being 16 millimeter they have like the little reels and stuff in, yeah in curse the blair witch i love that shot where they have like all, the all of them on the, on the table like, yeah yeah they're like very deteriorated and stuff like that um so i think that adds another layer to where it's like oh you can like take this out and film it but also there's a limited sense of it where even if you're like whatever you're filming there this is gonna run out this isn't like a fucking phone that'll like have record endless amounts of footage until the battery dies right yeah and and i mean like the look i mean like the look of this movie is it has that analog like fuzziness to it with the dv camera and adds like the nighttime scenes when they're like when they're shooting like on the on the digital camera are so terrifying because i don't know what it is about that like that specific type of camera but like it it almost feels like at any moment like something could just leap out of the like darkness during those like nighttime scenes this early dv like period is so interesting to me in terms of like a lot of the other movies that came out around this time a bit maybe a bit later obviously like 28 days later or something like that right it really adds to the authenticity of this just feels like oh I would have found this, like, maybe in my parents' collection of, like, they keep all these DV tapes. What's right. going to be on this shit? Yeah. And you just find something terrifying like this. It feels so authentic. I think it's not just the visual stuff, but also the sound in this movie is genuinely spectacular. Some of the best examples of using sound for horror were, like, all the stuff we hear, which apparently was, like, in the woods, Eduardo Sanchez and Daniel Merrick and the other producers would have, like, uh, boom boxes that would play... Some of this stuff, like the the children cries or the cackling God. and stuff like that, and you have to listen really hard. Like I have a big like sound bar. I had to turn that shit so far up to be able to even hear any of like the children's stuff. But you hear just enough, yeah, mm-hmm. where it's like if I heard that in a tent in the middle of the woods, uh, shitting my pants, that tent would be ruined. Yeah, there'd be nothing. No way I could sleep <laughs> in that again. Yeah, I I do love that line. I think it's I think it's Mikey who's like it's like the first night. And Josh is like, I heard something last night. And Mikey's like, if I heard something last night, I would have shit my pants. Right. Yes. Um, yeah. But you mentioned earlier about how, like, a lot of Heather's performance is, like, screaming and yelling and whatever. But, like, the sound adds to that because there's scenes where she's screaming, like, at the top of her lungs. And, like, the sound, like, reaches, like, its, like, its peak and kind of gets blown out a bit. Yeah. And, it, yeah, it's, yes. it's incredible. But I think that's even the case where even, like, some of the other people, like, Mike. We haven't talked much about Mikey. But what I like about Mikey a lot is that he feels much more introverted than I think even Josh or Heather are. So when he, like, lashes out, he feels like somebody who has a lot of pent-up aggression yeah. and rage. And especially when he does, like, the the Pledge of Allegiance and stuff like that. Where he's going, like, <laughs> America, God shed his grace on thee! And he, like, screams it out. It feels like someone who doesn't yell a lot. 
yeah. screaming at this point. Yeah, and like I think it's it would be so easy for Mikey to be the dislikable character. And yet I don't think he comes off that way at all. I mean, he feels he feels like the character who's most like how a normal person might react, at least how I would act of like holding trying to hold back the anger as much as you can of like and the desperation. But I yeah, it the movie doesn't make him a dislikable character, which helps, I think. I mean, especially after, like, in theory, the moment where he reveals, like, I kicked the map into the right. river would be, like, the irredeemable moment, fuck that guy. I, I can't believe, like, how could you ever do that? Yeah. But at the same time, like, I believe that desperation where they showed a whole day of them using that map and getting fucking nowhere and shit. Like, I totally believe that he would be under that duress. And I just also love the fact that whatever theory you have... You, there, there's so much you can expound upon that where, like you mentioned, oh, like it's the Blair Witch fucking with him, or even that sort of time distillation theory where it's like, oh, the literal woods are being changed as they go around. Yeah. Like the witch is turning the puzzle pieces so that they like go in a circle and shit like that. It gives you just enough to where like, oh, this is like clearly what's going on or like the children that recalls like the, the Rustin Parr stuff, any of these other things, just small enough details uh, all the way down to, like, we mentioned the stones and the stick figures. Arguably, like, the most iconic prop yeah. of, like, this movie. These, like, fucking little stick figure guys that are just simple enough to be, like, somebody clearly made these. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they're fucking deeply upsetting if they're all <laughs> hung up around us. They are. And, like, they're so distinctive and, like, unique. They're, like, instant, almost instantly recognizable as, like, like if I saw that somewhere, I'd be like, oh, that's from the Blair Rich Project. It's so, it's, it's that, it's a, a, like, and this whole movie, I think, is, like, literally just lightning in a bottle. And that especially is, like, this, this, like, little, it's sticks and, like, pieces of wood put together. And that, it's just so incredible. It's, it's, it's the magic of the movies, I guess. Like. Yep. And especially the magic at such a low budget. We haven't mentioned this, like, the budget for this movie was $200,000. Jesus Christ. (laughs) That's like a bit more than, I don't know, like Clerks or some of these other things. But in relative terms, this is such a small budget movie and it made $248 million. Jesus. In 1999 money. (laughs) Yeah, that's insane. Such a massive profit we get from that. And I think it just, it goes to show, especially like this movie was very divisive when it came out. It had you either had people who were like, "Oh, I'm I'm deep in, I love it, like we're kind of being," or you had those who were like, "Oh, this is bullshit, this is dumb." I think partially the the marketing campaign kind of fed into that. Where maybe like I think in 1999, if we were both like the ages we are in 99, we would both be like, "There's no way they showed like a snuff film in like 2,000 theaters, right?" <laughs> or whatever. There's there's no way. This is just like a fun, interesting experiment that's cinema verite or whatever. Yeah, like. I, I th- but I think that marketing campaign ended up like, kind of affecting people in that way, where some were either like, I love this gimmick, or fuck this bullshit, I don't want to see this shit. Sure, yeah. I was reading Roger Ebert's review of the movie, and he talks about how, like, the the horror and, like, the, the, the terror of the movie is, like, yeah, they find sticks and stones, and, like, their sounds, right? It's 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 such a cheap, like visual effect for a horror movie and that's just one of the most interesting things about this movie is that there is it doesn't it would not take like that much stuff to make something like this no like crazy like you know cgi or anything in this movie um well especially now like that two hundred thousand dollars i'm sure is mostly just renting out that equipment yeah quite frankly yeah that's, that's, i'm sure what most of it was because i don't know unless that elaborate wardrobe that <laughs> 
Hey, the flannel. The flannel, yeah. Lost a lot of money in 99. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, but I, I guess, what is the scariest moment to you in this movie? Because this is like, as a horror fan, there's this common refrain of like, oh, horror movies aren't scary anymore. And I think a lot of that is just, if you're a horror fan, you see a lot of horror movies. It's hard to scare you necessarily. Sure. Uh, what would you say is the sort of scariest moment to you in this movie? Oh, man. I mean... I think it is the moment you mentioned earlier where, like, they run out of their, um, like, tent, and you hear Heather go, like, what the fuck is that? And it, it, it just, you don't see it, and, like, you, it's just darkness, and you're just, and they're running, and all you see is the flashlight, and it is just, it's so frightening to me every single time. And, like, that's the scene that, like, where I, like, go, like, oh, yeah, this is the greatest movie ever made. <laughs> yeah, and especially, interesting fact was that apparently... Um, while they were filming that, there was originally going to be a thing where, like, the guy who's, like, messing with the tent was one of the producers who was wearing, like, apparently an entirely, like, white suit of some sort, so it was just going to be a white flash, so it was just going to, like, originally, like, I guess it was Mike or Josh, whoever's holding the camera during that, had to, like, look back slightly and see, like, a white visage of some sort, and then go back, and they just didn't get the shot. And they're like, oh, we can't go back and do that. But there's no second take yeah. in the production of The Blair Witch Project. <laughs> and, yeah, I think it's a keystroke, especially given how many of these movies later on would have, like, a monster that would pop up with, like, a CG face that would, like, stretch out. Like, that's my biggest problem with the original Paranormal Activity, is that fucking ending's dumb. Right. I don't like that fucking bitch <laughs> scare bullshit or whatever. And this movie's completely free of that for the better. Yeah, it has, like, like and, like, even those scenes where they are, like, they're like half in the tent and they're kind of like looking out like panning like from left to right like i feel like a, a modern horror movie would have like a pan over and then like you see like a flash of like a figure or something and in this movie you don't see that and i think that's that's just what makes this movie so like brilliant is that you actually i really do want to look at this quote from the Roger Ebert review where he like gets it like exactly right where he says uh, quote, the Blair Witch Project is a reminder that what really scares us is the stuff we can't see. The noise in the dark is almost always scarier than what makes the noise in the dark. And I think that's, that's like, what makes yeah. this movie so, like, brilliant. To the degree that, like, there are certain points in this movie when, like, the camera, like, leaves, like, tents and stuff like that, and they're just searching around. They're not even, like, running. They're just, like, searching around the woods. The moment Heather, like, leaves the tent and then, like, searches around, I have, like, a bit of a jolt. Like, oh, fuck. What's that? Something there. And you don't have to have, like, a big jump scare, like, say, the 2016 Blair Witch does a lot. Yeah. Where it's just, like, I'm looking around the woods, and then, smack! Somebody, like, ran into me. Yeah. <laughs> like that, and there's just a big noise, as opposed to, like, just that, the rustles in the woods and those vague sounds you hear. Um, but to go back to that, uh, what I was saying earlier about the uh, scariest moment, mine, and I think this is so key to this discussion, is... Them going through that fucking house. Oh my god! That yeah, house <laughs> is such a brilliant example of like. I guess they. It was a house that they like had out there in the middle of like Maryland, and it was like torn down shortly after this. And it just feels like okay, we found this house, and they added. Like, I think the big thing they added was like the children prints. 
That was like the God, one thing. Those are so fucking just, scary. Yep. <laughs> so fucking scary. But even just going around the dilapidated house, like on a certain level, like if I was in the middle of the woods and I didn't believe in like a Blair Witch or whatever, just like I'm not going to that dilapidated house. Who knows what's in there? Yeah. Like some kind of like animal or some like creepy dude who lives in the woods. <laughs> Any of those things could be in there, but the addition of, like, oh, there's a witch, and there are children's bloody hand marks all over the place, like, nah. Yeah, no, and, like, the audio during that scene, because, like, it, you're getting, like, I, I believe, like, Mike is holding the DV camera, and Heather has the 16 millimeter one, but I don't, but, like, I think, it, like, it feels like the audio is coming from the DV camera, not the 16 millimeter camera. And so you like, you get like Heather yelling, like, you know, Mikey, Josh, where are you? And it's, it's like faint, like in the distance. And it, it, yeah, it just feels so scary. She sounds like a fucking ghost. That's what, so that, that effect makes it sound just like, Oh, she is like in the distance, like being absorbed into the, the ether basically in the background i think that i agree with that it feels the most just like i am watching a fucking snuff film right now <laughs> yeah i am watching these characters these people these real people walk around in a house and they're about to die and i feel so uncomfortable watching this yeah and i mean like the just the production design of the house that paired with like just again the fact that it's shot on like this shitty video camera it gives it feels like it makes the house like feel dirtier (laughs) it's so terrifying and like and we should mention like this movie is 80 minutes long it is so short and it's like it's it's like 74 minutes before credits right yeah you get 40 minutes of like kind of them in the woods and all intro and stuff like that and then the rest is like them going crazy and then they see the house at like 10 minutes before the credits are supposed to hit or something like it's not not even yeah it's like like, it's very like we don't spend it it's weird we're like that part of the house it feels like it's longer because you're in that internal state of like oh my god are they gonna find something yeah they're gonna find it's yeah it's one of those things where i'm like oh well the house was like 20 minutes of the movie right and then you get to like you watch it again and you're like oh this was like five minutes like they're not even in it that much but because you're so like on the edge of your seat and like scared you it, it feels longer i'd be very curious to hear like a kid who has no perception of the Blair Witch Project at all, if you showed them this and it's like, oh, by the way, this is real, and you just had them sit and watch it, <laughs> if they would believe it, because it just feels like that authentic. It, do- it really does. Way. It does. Like, there's, even me, like, after, like, having seen it so many times, like, knowing all the history of it, like, I, I still watch it, and I'm I'm terrified, and also it, it, there's points where I'm watching it, and I, like, in the characters' performances, I'm like, that feels a little too real in, in their performance, like in their delivery of, of certain lines where I'm like, that feels like it's not them acting. It feels like they're genuinely scared to be in the woods. Especially when you had like so much other stuff, like going a bit back in the movie, like one of my favorite dumb bits of them just hanging out, even when they're in the woods is the Gilligan's Island discussion, which is like the most like nineties. These kids watched like a bunch of reruns of <laughs> yeah. Gilligan's Island. Just talking about like, well, I'm the captain. Uh, excuse me. It's the skipper. skipper. Oh, <laughs> shit you got it right uh, but you have like those moments so when they start falling apart it all also feels real by proxy yeah and it's just so good um and even to get back to the the house that final shot where we go down those stairs after mikey's been hit previously and then you see the head like go down and he's in that corner and they had established yeah, that was one them. of the things in the various <laughs> For those of you not watching uh, on Zoom, Brian has changed his thing to where Mike is behind him in the corner. He is, yeah. <laughs> it's one of the most terrifying, like, final shots in any movie. 
and and I think like someone could watch this movie and you could like all the crazy weird things that happen to them and you could still kind of be like but is the Blair Witch real is this is this a real thing like whatever and, and like it is I think that final shot that kind of cements like this is real and like the Blair Witch is real and it's also something so simple that like feels very childlike in terms of like you are in the corner yeah you did something bad and you're going to be punished in the corner and you have no idea what's behind you. Yeah. And just, I mean like the shot where it is just going down the stairs and she's like, she's like, Josh, Josh. And then like, as soon as you turn the corner, just seeing it and you're like, and, and like they mentioned like the rest in par, like he would put them in the corner and, and that right. whole thing. But like, you might not even remember that as you're, as you're kind of un- like that scene is unfurling, you, you figure out what's happening and that this is, this is it. And yeah, I mean, just that final shot is so, so insane. So I guess um, you're more in the firm belief that there is like a supernatural Blair Witch. Because there's a bunch of different things I've seen online where some people even say like, oh, there is like a killer or even that like Josh is the killer and all this other stuff. I think there's those are valid enough interpretations. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like that you could come to. Yeah. But I, I do agree that I do think it is like a supernatural force, especially considering like the corner thing, especially where it's like if an adult like killer man told me to stand in the corner, <laughs> I don't know if I would have done that. I probably would have been murdered <laughs> yeah. immediately. Um, but just standing in the corner instantly gives me like, okay, this guy is being like forced to do yeah. this mm-hmm. magically through some upsetting thing. Yeah. Um, and... Yeah, but you're firmly in the supernatural camp on that. Yeah, and this is another yeah, this is another aspect I love about this movie too, which is that like you because like the the Blair Witch within the context of of this movie is never really portrayed or like talked about as if it's like a traditional witch that we would think of uh in terms of like, you know, kind of your, you know, mythology and folklore. Yeah, your broomsticks, you're kicking your heels, I'll get my pretty, and yeah, blah, 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 yeah, et cetera. Yeah, yes. bubble, 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 toil and trouble. <laughs> um, but, like, it, it has almost this, like, Lovecraftian angle to it. it. It's almost this force that's, like, everywhere. Like, especially, like, when they're hearing those sounds, they're, like, they're coming from everywhere, like, all over. And, and uh, yeah, that's the thing I love about this movie is that it, it has that feeling of the Blair Witch is everywhere. It, it It isn't like a monster where it's like, oh, there's Michael Myers. He's right there. But that's kind of one of my favorite aspects of like the Blair Witch as a like force of evil, whatever, you know? The the element of like the Blair Witch is just kind of like the town of Burkittsville's way of understanding the chaos of what's like in the woods, mm-hmm. which I like that idea that it's like all, all these are horrible things are caused by this force that like convinced Rustin Parr to do this or kind of framed Mary uh, Kelly Riley or whatever the person in 1700s was named to like be a witch and be crucified and drag that little girl into the water. This thing exists and it's just like, uh, what do we say? A Blair Witch? Yeah. Let's go with that. Sure. Let's do that. Um, And I think that like that element of it, I think makes all the more terrifying when especially Heather like gets hit and the last shot is just like, the camera like running and fizzing out and like breaking oh my gosh. and stuff like that. Just like something definitely fucking hit her and caused her to get to the ground. And we don't know what that is. And it's all the more upsetting. that she's like, we'll never know. There is like, there's like one frame when she's like knocked down where you see like hair or something. 
and like it it's like a, like i don't know maybe it's just again maybe it is just like me like my mind playing tricks while i'm watching this movie but like there's like a, sh- a i had frame. a similar thing where like the, fir- the the first time i saw this there was like a little like lump or whatever there and for a second i was like is that like josh's head or something is that like just the remains of josh yeah you barely see it it's just vague enough to where you could either one could probably be Makes sense, or it's just a fucking log that's down. There. Yeah, yeah, it could be anything, and that's like the that that's the great thing about about this movie, and, and just I mean like the abruptness of that ending every single time gets me, because it is literally like this shot, and then like Josh, and then boom, and that's it, and it like it holds on that like shot of the camera like on the ground for like a while, like longer than you would think. I think uh, I feel, and it's it's so unsettling. It's just so unsettling. Yeah, um, you know, we should get to, like, some of the other things we want to do before we wrap up, but I'm curious, is there anything about the Blair Witch Project itself you want to mention? Anything we haven't mentioned that you want to shout out? Or oh, man. No, I mean, I, I just, I love this movie so much. Um, well, I think there's one thing we haven't mentioned, and I wanted to give it a shout out because it's also very upsetting. Um, when she gets that little package of Josh's tongue and teeth. Oh, my God, yeah. And it, it, it's so simple. And it's so, like, but immediately affecting. And especially the way that she sees that, and she backs up, and then immediately cuts to her, like, scrounging her hands, like, getting them clean in the, in the like, little riverbed and stuff like that. Like, it just instantly makes you work. And especially, like, this is the first time I kind of realized this. She never tells Mikey about that. No, yeah. And, like, because, like, he calls to her, and you can hear how, like, shaken her voice is by, like, what she's just saw, like, seen. And, yeah, she never, like, mentioned, like, she, like, is putting her backpack on, and, like, I think Mike is, like, filming her, and she's like, nope, we're fine, we're gonna keep walking, we're just gonna keep walking, like, that's all she says, and it, it's, it, it somehow makes it more, like, frightening that she, like, doesn't tell him, and that it's just this tiny moment. Well, even more upsetting, considering, like, originally when the, she finds the sticks, she's just like, nope, throws it away. Yeah. And then they're, like, kind of like, yeah, we're just going like, to wait for Josh for a bit. Wait for Josh. A couple hours go by. Oh, fuck, I got to go. Yeah. I got to see what's in here. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I just, I, I love this movie so much. Um, it, it never loses its, like, that shine for me in terms of when I watch it, I, it's, it's terrifying, and I'm still so invested in in the characters and in in the lore of it all. I think is interesting. Yeah, it's, it's just one of my favorite movies. I, I love it so much. Well, I'm I'm curious if any of that <laughs> luster has at all shined off with the sequels, which you kind of mentioned earlier. We'll talk about these briefly. Yeah. Um, you watched Book of Shadows, Blair Witch Two. Yeah. And you had seen. The 2016 Blair Witch before, but you rewatched it. Yeah, I saw it when it came out in theaters, and then I, I re- it's a movie. Uh, can we do? We should. Can we do the 2016 one first? Because I have maybe less to say about that than than Book of Shadows. Yeah, um, about yeah so from Adam Wingard and Simon Barrett of uh, your next and the guest fame. Yeah, and uh, tangent here, but like, isn't it kind of sad that like Adam Wingard's career has kind of turned into like IP now? Because, like, he goes from this to, like, Death Note, and then, like, Godzilla versus Kong, and now he's doing, like, I think he's doing, like... The Godzilla versus Kong 2, I believe, is what he's doing next. Right, but he's also doing, like, a... I think he's 
he's doing something a remake of Face Off, I think, or something like that. And it, uh, I remember that was in, yeah announced at some. He's been attached to, like a bunch of different things. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's like the key example to me of like a recent person who like oh you made a splash with like a couple cute indie movies. Now you're gonna do a bunch of like bigger things, and most of those have been very disappointing even when like when godzilla versus kong is like the best out of those yeah it's kind of like it's a low bar and like your next and the guest are great movies like are great little horror movies like or you know genre really clever especially the the guest has such a weird trajectory of where it goes and how it splices genres together but it works so well so good what i remember about the 2016 blair witch though was it was shown at like it was like South by Southwest or something, but it was under like a different name. Do you remember this? I remember this. It was Comic Con. Okay, it right. was San Diego Comic Con, where like it was. It had been announced, and a trailer had come out under the title "The Woods," right? And we didn't know anything about it. And literally, people went to that screening of "The Woods," found it was a Blair Witch sequel. And as they were leaving, all the posters had been changed from "The Woods" to "Blair Witch." Yeah. like a genuinely very cool like way to announce something that got me excited for the movie like the direct inverse of like the hype built up of the project versus like this movie where it's like oh hey uh, this is the Blair Witch Project now comes out in like two months yeah yeah it's weird because I've thought it because like the Blair Witch is one of Blair Witch Project is one of my favorite movies I've I've thought about the 2016 movie for like a long time and for the longest time it was like Hmm, that was a weird, interesting little movie that isn't very good. But rewatching it here, my I guess my take on it is that like because Book of Shadows is such a piece of shit that we'll get to. Um <laughs> it, <laughs> problem with the 2016 one is it's basically the same movie as the first one, like essentially. Yeah, the first hour in particular is a lot of the similar stuff. Just with like, oh, we have a drone and we have much prettier people. Yeah. Like Callie Hernandez, who I love Callie Hernandez, but yeah. she looks like a movie star. Yeah. She look like a real person. All of that stuff that like co- it copies from the Blair Witch Project is like, it's very similar, but it's updated for a modern audience. I hate the fucking like little cameras they have on their ear. Like, I hate that. Yeah. Um, it, It's doing the same exact thing, but just kind of worse. <laughs> and like the characters aren't that interesting and like the scares are terrible like you mentioned like the jump scares which there's just so many of them that are like oh it's it's my friend ah you scared me i didn't know it was you oh i can't why'd you smack into my face yeah. you just like run immediately into me yeah. <laughs> like you're a, a fucking cartoon character hitting a pole i always wonder that with those jump scares where i'm like why are you why are you running so fast like jesus christ the thing that pisses me off is, like, there's a bit of self-awareness, like, near the end of the movie where someone runs into Callie Hernandez, I think, and she says, why does everyone keep doing that? Yeah. Stop it. Like, and it almost feels like, oh, is this going to be a commentary? But it's like, it's too late in the movie. And also, fuck you. You've been doing this this whole time. Don't be self-aware. Yeah. And I, I will say, though, the last, like, 20-something minutes, I think, I mean, like, keeping in line with, like, it's like the original, but it's slightly worse but I guess when you're dealing with the original movie's ending, which is like perfect, if you're slightly worse than perfect, you're still pretty good. So I think it's a pretty good ending. And like, I think a lot of the, especially when, like once they get into the house and that whole stuff, it feels very visceral. That stuff is, is quite, that works for me a lot. Well, I I agree with you. I think that the, the, I have that trouble with the first hour or so, but I think there's certain, like there's a lot of details I like that are peppered. And even there's the Wes Robinson character, who's the guy who, like, they find, who has, like, the weird, like, he has the Confederate flag up in his yep. house and shit like that, who looks, he looks like Greasy Miles Teller. Um, 
That's pretty good, actually. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty accurate. Uh, but um, like, I love like that whole weird subplots going on with them, him and his girlfriend, where like they keep coming back and they've been like in the woods for weeks. Yeah, that like, and they establish like that time distillation mm-hmm. thing. That that scene where they come back and they're like, I haven't seen you in, in like five or six days. That is like a really good sequence. There's a lot of like interesting elements there, all the way down to like the house thing, where like I feel if they had kind of gone with what the sort of modus operandi of the house is, which is like, okay, we're going to repeat the house thing, but because everyone's seen the original movie, and we showed the ending of that movie in the opening, um, we're going to go in pretty much the opposite tract of like, oh, you didn't see anything in this house. How about you see a flash of everything? <laughs> and it's a weird haunted house that moves like a Rubik's Cube. Yeah. And she's like, like that's a lot better than, oh, hey, um, someone's walking around the woods, but there's a drone cam. Yeah. Yeah. They're real different. <laughs> yeah. And I, I get it. I get like having to modernize a lot of that stuff, but it, 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 again, it just doesn't feel the same and doesn't capture that, that same magic that the original movie does because it has the 16 mil and DV kind of contrast where like the 2016 one just kind of looks, it looks like they added like a grain filter to it or something. It, it doesn't, I don't know. It, it looks very clean. It's very, In a yeah. way that like, right. Which, you know, uh, updated cameras and stuff, but also when you have like such pretty people, it, I think it's even more removes it. They were yeah. like very normal looking people who in like that crystal clear HD, that'd probably work a lot better. But, yeah. you know, I'm curious now because Book of Shadows <laughs> does go with a very different track from the original movie. Mm-hmm. It goes, if you have not seen Book of Shadows out there, everybody, basically, it follows, like, in the immediate wake of the Blair Witch phenomenon with a group of people who are touring around in a very traditional, like, actual, like, movie. It's not found footage as they're, like, going to, like, different locations and then weird shit happens. Yeah. Like, Jeffrey Donovan is... A Burn Notice fan. Hey, hey. (laughs) Burn Notice. He is, like, the (laughs) tour guide, like, yeah, bringing these people on the tour of the... It's not to date like when we're recording this it's very interesting to watch a movie about like a tour group going to a location where a lot of people have died in in you know in, in light of recent events i don't know what you're talking about an unrelated <laughs> note uh, james cameron also did the blair witch tour <laughs> in his submarine weirdly like james we're above water you don't have to be in that submarine no <laughs> this is mine <laughs> this movie man i don't even hate jeffrey donovan like in general and i actually think he's like i struggle to say anything in this movie is good i think he's the best part of it maybe <sighs> where do you even like begin with this fucking thing <laughs> well you know i i want to say that like i had a very similar reaction to you when i first watched it. i think it was around the time of uh Blair Witch coming out in 2016. Right. I was like, well, I've never seen Book of Shadows. I'll probably see it. Everyone hates it. And I did hate it very much at that time. Um, and then I rewatched it for this. And I will also emphasize that um, I have watched a fan edit of this movie. Because the big thing about this movie was uh, Joe Berlinger directed it. And he's mostly a documentary filmmaker. He had made the Paradise Lost movies, which are about like this group of kids who were like into heavy metal that got accused of killing some children. Mm-hmm. Um, many say wrongly. That was like circumstantial evidence and stuff. It's an interesting documentary series. Um, but he made this and he purposely wanted to make like, okay, I want to make a movie that's more about the kind of like reaction to, especially he was very, he respected the original movie, but did not like the marketing campaign of trying to say it was a real thing. Now people immediately believed just because it was on video. 
And so he made a movie that was basically a deconstruction of how people could, you know, immediately buy into something just because it's on video as opposed to in reality. Like, Jeffrey Donovan at one point even says it's just like, oh, man, the film lies, video is for real. Yeah. Shit like that. So it's a movie that's kind of trying to deconstruct that, but the problem is the when he made this movie that was more about just a psychological breakdown where, like, these people are stuck in the woods and they, like, find out, like... Oh, all these people are dying and weird circumstances are happening and the video footage showing us like what actually happened is us murdering people and shit like that <sighs> it was like more of like a psychological breakdown that I thought in the fan edit that's closer to his vision I think is more interesting um, in the movie itself uh, the studio was like no you gotta add like people getting murdered and more traditional horror sequences all of which were not what he wanted and that yeah. stuff's not in the fan edit I saw as well um, but I think there's an interesting idea to Book of Shadows. It's just not very well executed in the one that everybody can see. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like you, it, it's interesting that that's kind of the the conceit of it. Um, because like going back to the the main film, there's that line where like um, where I think it's Josh filming Heather, and he says like I know, I see why you like this camera. It's not quite reality, which is a great line. And I just I just thought of that. And I don't know how much of this is like the studio studio meddling as well, but like just the whole like very two thousands like new metal aesthetic almost that the movie has is so bizarre and is such a contrast to the like the original film, which is so quiet and just you know yeah. Especially when the opening credits are over a Marilyn Manson song, very much. Yeah, it, yeah, and like, yeah, just there's a lot of that music in the movie as well. Like they'll play it, and I'm like, what the? F- what is this? This is so weird. Um, the characters are are in, like just to me so poorly written. I hate all of them, <laughs> basically. Um, it, it is a weird thing where like the movie's trying to pull this whole like trick on you like you said the kind of psychological thing of like well they were the ones who were like this is what was actually happening the whole time but like i don't know it, it maybe it's just because like i don't know maybe i've seen a lot of movies but like i kind of figured that out like an hour into the movie where i was like oh well that's clearly what's going on right well well even i think what i like about in the what Berlinger's original vision was, it feels like it's more of, oh, wait, no, this is, like, essentially, because the Blair Witch, like, manipulates everything, it's like, oh, the Blair Witch has now manipulated these tapes. These tapes are manipulated to the degree that, like, oh, everything, like, it's framing us, basically, for what we didn't actually do, which is more even my interpretation, which I think works even better. Yeah. Which is like, oh, they, they actually didn't kill any of these people. But the tapes have been manipulated by evil dark magic to make it seem like, no, you fucking did it. This, it's on tape. You can't lie. Yeah. I, I guess I think my thing is I, I like that on paper. But when I'm watching Book of Shadows, it, none of that is like is resonating with me in any way. Yeah, I mean, it's not really helped by, like I said, the stuff that the studio did were like it was supposed to be like a linear film originally. And in the book of shit, like the theatrical cut, it is like so choppy where like we're cutting to the, the interrogations and then back to the reality and all this other stuff. It's so discombobulated. It really is. Like the editing is so all over the place. It's yeah, it's cutting to like that police, like when they're in the, the police station, but it's cutting to that, like, I don't know, 40 minutes before we ever get to like any type of murder kind of thing happening. It feels like, so it's like, wait, so they live, right? So it's like, it's, it, yeah, it, it's, it's a weird, it's a weird movie, I will say. <laughs> mm. 
No, it's a it's a very weird movie, and it's I, I appreciate at least the ambition of like the, the movie I would have hated like the most would have been if they just did another Blair Witch project, but with a glossier sheen, which is arguably what Bo- uh, Blair Witch twenty sixteen is. Yeah, but, like if they'd done that in like two thousand, that was the easiest thing anyone could have done. Sure, yeah, but that but at least Bollinger was just like I want to do something a bit more interesting and kind of like as a commentary on what happened before, and then the studio fucked it up. Um, I'll just say like the the fan thing I've seen, it's not like amazing but i think if that movie had come out with like what berlinger would have wanted it would have been an interesting companion to blair witch as opposed to this derided thing that i totally get it's like it's not good yeah it's not a good movie whatsoever <laughs> but it's it's at least it's a fascinating failure yeah movie. also i this is a weird thing i noticed during the credits the music is done by carter burwell as in like yes. carter burwell who did like a lot of Todd Haynes films and like, you know, he did like the score for Carol and stuff like that, which is a bunch of Coen brothers. movies. Yeah. As well. Yeah. Which is so what's interesting. is apparently what he did was he recorded like stuff in the woods, like tree branches cracking and like sticks being thrown around stones and stuff. And he just like added to it with like a sort of or- orchestral and electronic score. And I think that that actually is one of the few things that works really well. in even the theatrical version, it's a weird offsetting score. But I guess all this talk of the sequels, I'm curious, before we go into, like, our recommendation thing, can you see a future where there is, like, more Blair Witch? They've announced, I think, recently they're going to do another Blair Witch movie in, like, the last, like, year or so. They announced this. Is there any way where you could see, like, the Blair Witch being an interesting franchise to continue forward? I was thinking a lot about this as I was watching these sequels, and I, that's what I will say about Book of Shadows, is that if, even though I absolutely loathe it <laughs> um I, it is at least for a sequel it, for a horror sequel especially it's doing something that is very different and very unique than what you would expect from a, a typical horror sequel and then the 2016 one kind of pivots in the complete opposite direction and does like a very safe um a very safe thing and i, my, I guess my feelings is i it would have to be someone someone would have to have such a a wild and interesting like take on the Blair Witch to make another movie Um, because I definitely don't want to see like just the original movie again or or something like that just with different people Uh, this time they have like iPhones or whatever like you know it's I I think that's what I would want to see it has to be someone like who has this wild take that I haven't even like thought of where it's like oh that's really interesting Um, I think that would be the only way to see like this continue because I like I like I mentioned like I just think that original is just lightning in the bottle and I you just can't you can't do that twice in the same way. Yeah, to the degree that even like Eduardo Sanchez and Daniel Merrick have talked about like if they were to do another Blair Witch themselves and like actually direct it, they had kind of talked about they wanted to do a prequel about like the Kelly character in like the 1700s, just go all the way back, do like a you know. Uh, uh, Salem Witch Trial style movie okay. about her. Sure, yeah. Which I think would that's that's a completely different thing. But I think honestly, my thing is like if you're going to do a modern Blair Witch thing, I think you would have to really n- nail into something that like was so w- wonderfully presented in those mockumentary things, like Curse of the Blair Witch, and just like really examine like a salacious true crime angle to it. I think at this point. Because I feel like, you know, kind of like what they did in, like, the 2018 Halloween of, like, the podcasters yeah. going mm-hmm. out there. I think that's the way to go at this point, is just, to like, to have somebody be extremely exploitative 
and just try and be like, oh, we're going to, like, cash in on the Blair Witch and see, like, whatever kind of, like, filled-in thing happened between, I guess, if we want to count Book of Shadows. <laughs> like, the, like, 20... It's been, like, over 20 years now sure, since, right. like, the Blair Witch thing happened. And I guess getting into to more of that factor and even, like, not necessarily going into the woods, I think, is another big factor. We don't need to go into the woods. I think just being around Burkittsville, I think, is the better way to go maybe even sticking around that town and seeing how the town is even affected at night by whatever this creature is because i think the biggest mistake like blair witch 2016 did was just going into the woods and because you're just setting yourself up for a failure of comparison yeah yeah no i yeah i think that's it it, it I, i'd be very curious to see what they actually do uh i'm sure it won't uh, i don't know i don't know it could go either direction i i'm always kind of naturally cynical about this kind of thing but i don't know who knows who knows indeed well we'll find out i guess i don't know in the next it'll be like one of these you know given the the history of these Blair Witch movies it'll be a trailer in a couple weeks and then within three months it'll be like oh it's coming out (laughs) by the way we're doing this uh who knows but yeah so uh that ends our discussion on Blair Witch but we have to do our weekly segment here between the lines and between the lines is our segment every week where uh brian and i recommend another film uh, that relates to the film we're talking about today. Uh, so either another one that we could consider like an eye for indie for a blockbuster or something kind of related to the particular uh, film in question that kind of connects in some way. So, uh, Brian, why about you go first? What is your recommendation yeah. for the week? So, well, like I mentioned, I'm not a huge fan of um, of found footage horror. So I didn't really want to go with a, another found footage movie. Instead, I went with a movie that gives me similar vibes to the Blair Witch Project, which is a film called Pulse, uh, released in 2001 by uh, Japanese filmmaker Kiyoshi Kurosawa. This is a really interesting horror movie to me, at least, because it captures a, a similar kind of dread that I feel during like while watching the, the Blair Witch Project. So the movie, for anyone unaware, is set in Japan, and it focuses initially on these three characters who, or these four characters, I'm sorry. And one of them has just committed suicide. Uh, they're immediately like uh, curious because that isn't like them. And they quickly realize that there is something weird going on. <laughs> and it has to do with the internet. And this is 2001, so it's like it's dial up internet. And it has, again, that a similar thing that the Blair Witch Project has, which is that sort of Y2K kind of analog thing going on, which I really love. It, there's something going on with the internet where there are ghosts in the internet in some way. And I won't give, a, give too much away besides that. However, I will say this, it's, it's a very unsettling movie in a similar way that the Blair Witch Project is. You could kind of consider it boring, like the Blair Witch Project, in the sense that, like, for a majority of the runtime, not a lot happens in terms of, like, action. <laughs> the Blair Witch Project has a sense of isolation and loneliness in the woods, and, and I find, and, like, the, the sort of central evil, the Blair Witch in this case, and in, in Pulse, the whatever it is in the movie, I won't spoil it, they are sort of controlling the characters. That's sort of a thing I, I kind of liked about both of those both of the movies um interesting to contrast it with the Blair Witch Project because Pulse is set in like in Tokyo and yet like it, although it's set in a huge city it is it the film gives such a sense of like loneliness and like isolation it, and 
yeah, I, I, I just watched it for the first time uh, this week, and I loved it. It was very unsettling, and I, I would recommend it to anyone. It's a great movie. Um, I have not seen Pulse. Uh, where the, I was more initially aware of this through the 2006 remake. I found out about this, like, just, yeah. Yes. Uh, I remember the ads for that very well with Kristen Bell. Um, interestingly, co-written by Wes Craven, and apparently he was originally co-writing. It was supposed to direct it, and he was writing it with Vince Gilligan. Oh, of Breaking Bad. Huh. Right. This is right before Breaking Bad. This is right. where he was like, oh, I was a big writer on the X-Files. Sure. Okay. Like, right after that. Um, but then he kind of got taken away from it, and shockingly, um, it's a Dimension Films movie, so the Weinsteins apparently really futzed with it. Oh, Shocking. boy, yeah. Um, so apparently that's a very bad remake, but I have not seen the original. I'd be curious, especially, I'm a, I have not seen a lot of, like, the original J-horror stuff, um, aside from, I've seen Ringu and the original Grudge. Okay. Um, so I've been meaning to go back into some of those. Yeah, I, I've, there's, I've never, I've actually never seen, like, Ringu. Um, I've only seen like this, and I would uh, I would recommend Kiyoshi Kurosawa's other film Cure, which is yeah. which is somehow more unsettling and like just is a film that really like gets under your skin. But Pulse just like a, a bit of the simplicity in the scares is what kind of gets me, and it relates it to the Blair Witch Project for me, and and just that vibe, this kind of like you know uh, trance like dread <laughs> that you kind of feel throughout the entire movie um mm-hmm. yeah it's a fantastic movie yeah what what uh what is yours well my recommendation uh speaking of things again your skin um is a found footage horror movie um it's one i had heard a lot about and had not seen until uh a couple of days ago honestly uh, i watched this right before i rewatched blair witch project and uh, this is the Australian film Lake Mungo uh, from director Joel Anderson, his one and only film. And it is this Australian film that presents itself as a mockumentary where basically uh, we follow this family um, who uh, at the very beginning they established that uh, they were out vacationing at Lake Mungo, which is a real lake around Australia. The wife, husband, son, and their daughter. And their daughter suddenly uh, went missing. And uh, she drowned. They end up finding her body and stuff like that. And um, as uh, the movie goes along, they investigate how there's apparently some supernatural elements to this. Uh, The boy starts, like, he's a big camera buff, so he starts filming things and seeing, like, uh, stuff that goes around. And I won't go into much further detail, because this is very much like a movie I'd heard about from, like, just horror people quietly kind of discussing it. Um, it's this fascinating movie about less like, oh, a big supernatural spooky thing happening and more like dealing psychologically with grief in a really like brutal way. Like they do a great job of, it feels so much like a real like documentary in terms of their little like recreation bits where you see like the camera gliding around this house that's empty now because this daughter is gone and you feel that sense of like, hopelessness from the family, where, you know, the the wife um, does not, when they, they do find the body, um, she just stays in the car and she can't go in. So the husband has to go and identify the body of his daughter. So she, because of that, is like, oh, maybe she's out there. Maybe they found the wrong body. Maybe we have to, like, exhume her body and find it. And it's such a fascinating exploration of, like, that kind of grief and realizing you didn't know a lot about a person after they died. Because the daughter had kind of been distant from the family after a certain point. You find out various details about her life. They're like, oh, wow, all this shit was going on right under their noses. They didn't know. And it, like, paints this really sad, beautiful portrait. 
of this young girl and this family that's like completely lost her now and they might not know anything and kind of like it, it does such a beautiful job of establishing all that while also being so unsettling. I will just say near the end of this movie, there is a sort of jump scare that is one of the most upsetting things I've ever fucking seen in a movie. <laughs> it's it's just this, and it's not even that it's like terrifying because like the image is so scary. The image is scary, but all of the context of it, when you had like so much of the movie built up and then they literally, I'll just say they find this particular footage that you see is um, so unnerving. And I watched this in the middle of the day, kind of like you did with Blair Witch Project. I was like, you know, I've heard scary things, sunny day, it's Tubi, so I got interrupted by gain ads and bullshit like that. And this still unnerved me. Like I was originally going to just immediately follow up, like let's go into Blair Witch Project. I'm like, nope, I need to like go outside I need to hug my dog. I need to fucking <laughs> chill for a bit because this is so unnerving. Uh, but yeah, Lake Mungo would definitely recommend. It's definitely, I would say of like, because this came out right before, I guess, the Paranormal Activity angle. This is when yeah, like 08. in that wasteland between, oh wait, right. So it came out in between uh, Blair Witch and Paranormal Activity. I would say easily one of the best ones of that genre. Huh. Yeah, I I've never seen it, and it, it has. Been, I've heard about it through like horror in horror movie circles where people will mention Lake Mungo. I've never seen it. I'm now I'm now I'm very curious to see it, but also a bit nervous. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. That that moment I'm teasing. Um, it might seem like, oh, are you overhyping that? Like, nope. That's the thing that's like going to stay with me for quite a while. It's one of those. All right. It's just like Jesus Christ. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so uh, for everybody out there, uh, once again, um, what was your title, Brian? Should you everybody so you can put it on their watch list out there? Uh, yes, it is Pulse by Kiyoshi Kurosawa, the 2001 film, not the 2006 uh, American remake. Yes, and uh, my film, once again, was Lake Mungo, the Australian found footage horror movie that will terrify you <laughs> and stick with you for a while. Have fun watching. So... That is the end of our show here. So uh, we'll do some uh, thanks and stuff, and then we'll uh, tease what our next episode's going to be. So uh, first off, we got to thank Burial Grid for our intro music. Uh, purchase his music at burialgrid.com. I'm sure I'll put the link in the description here uh, for all his great music. Uh, thanks to Michelle Kyle for our artwork. Uh, follow her on Twitter at uh, mishkyle96. That's M-I-C-H Kyle96. Um, for all her great artwork commissioned from her. She's a really good artist. Um, and then thanks to our patrons at uh, patreon.com slash cinema2letter. Uh, that's cinema number two letter. Uh, where, you know, every month uh, we do, uh, you know, little Patreon-related, uh, you know, audio things. And also we'll put up polls for you to vote on. At least, you know, one episode that it happens in a miniseries or other things in the future. Um, we've done some audio review stuff over on there, like uh, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny was our most recent one. Uh, you'll be able to hear we are on the precipice of seeing it, Brian and I. So yes. we have not yet. We're still waiting. <laughs> We're still waiting to see what Indy does in his last journey. Fingers crossed. Come on, James. Fingers crossed. Yes. Yeah. And also over on the Patreon, along with the Indiana Jones review, we should have um, our Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 audio review should be up soon, as well as uh, following that, our Barbenheimer double feature of us talking about Greg Gerwig's Barbie and then Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer. Uh, you'd be able to hear that. And also, every month, we're definitely going to do some kind of like big podcast uh, for patrons at least once a month. And the one we're going to be doing for July is a top 10 list, which we 
finally uh, narrowed in on a topic, we're gonna get, we're gonna be doing a our top ten directorial debuts. Yes. So uh, the first film that a director puts out. So uh, yeah, it'll be very interesting. It will. Yes. To, to see what we do for that. Yeah, so Brian and I will each have a top ten list for that, and you'll be able to hear that on one audio recording. It'll be a lot of fun. Uh, but for more of us, you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Cinema2Letter. Once again, uh, Cinema, number two, letter. Um, and you can find me doing my own stuff on uh, Twitter and Letterbox as at NotTheWho'sTommy. I also do some writing at both my blog, MarianiThomas.wordpress.com, and at Film-Cred.com. Uh, yeah, and you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd. Uh, my my Twitter at is uh, my name, Brian, B-R-Y-A-N-D-R-A-D-E, and the number three. And then my Letterboxd is just my name, Brian Andrade, uh, last name, A-N-D-R-A-D-E. So follow me on there. And uh, for more of us uh, in audio form, please uh, follow or subscribe, whatever the kids are doing <laughs> these days, on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or other podcasting platforms out there. If you're listening on Talk Film Society, our podcast network, listen to all the other great shows that are on the network. And you can also dig into our archives and our Podbean main feed for all the stuff that we did here and the old show, Double Edge Double, Double, Edge, Double Bill. Um, and if you can't support us on the Patreon, uh, you know, the $1 can be tight for some people we understand. The completely free way to help us out is to rate, review, or just share the show around. Helps us with the algorithms and helps people find us in the middle of the woods. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but now, Brian, uh, to tease our next episode in our uh, rotation, we're going to be getting into new. Yes. So, uh, a newer movie uh, from, you know, the decade of the 2020s. And for blockbusters, we decide we're going to be doing Tenet. Christopher Nolan's Tenet <laughs> with its uh, temporal pincer movements. Oh, man. Such. Just in time. This will be coming out, uh, I believe, right after Oppenheimer, because this episode we're releasing now. It's coming out right before Oppenheimer comes out. Right. So this will be, 10 will be like right after. I know this is all complicated timing stuff, <laughs> not expecting Christopher Nolan <laughs> discussions. Uh, but yeah, so right in time for, you know, Oppenheimer, everyone would have just been blown, blown away, away in the theater. <laughs> uh, but before that, we're going to revisit his most recent film, Tenant, which this will be interesting because I think this is the first time we're going to be having a bit more of a difference of opinion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, because I love. Tenet, but you are not so hot on it. You're st- I have very mixed feelings on Tenet. I don't like hate it or anything. I just have very mixed feelings. Um, I'll be very curious, especially um, my history with Tenet's very fascinating given the movie came out in 2020 and how I saw it originally. Uh, there'll be a lot of fun discussing that. But yeah, that'll be our next episode. Christopher Nolan's Tenet. That'll be uh, next week. And uh, yeah, that's the end of our episode. So until next time. Um, oh, Brian, what? 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 What, what the fuck is that? <laughs> Is that the ending then? <laughs> yeah, <not> cool. <laughs> <laughs>